There are times when preachers and pastors and others have messages that they love to preach, so much so that they often preach them over and over and over again. Um, evangelists are that way. They love to preach evangelism, um, and those who are being saved love to hear it, and those who have already got their salvation are glad to hear it because they don't have to be challenged by the words of Jesus. And then there are times when there are messages that um, are a little more difficult to accept, and it's the natural inclination to say, well, he's talking about somebody else, and therefore I don't have to listen. And hopefully what Jesus is going to be condemning uh, the scribes and the Pharisees for, uh, he's not speaking to us. However, two things. Number one, wisdom comes by hearing things so that you modify your behavior so you don't make the same mistakes. And so, for instance, in sports, when you have a coach, it's easy when the coach is uh, yelling at one of the players for not doing something, say, well, the coach is yelling at him or her, rather than saying, well, can I learn something from this and be wise? And so Jesus is going to do some condemnation. However, the second aspect is many people in the world think, and probably, generally speaking, rightfully so, that the church is filled with hypocrites. Now, the somewhat difference is, is that we acknowledge that there are times that we are hypocrites, and the church is a hospital, and we're trying to recover from it. So, we are hypocrites, for instance, when we sing and say that we believe that Jesus is everything to me, until he isn't. However, the world has plenty of hypocrites as well. And first, we have this tendency to think that hypocrites mean inconsistent. Now, hypocrites means play-acting, to pretend you're one thing when you're not. And so, for instance, the world will say that there are no absolutes, but they're absolutely certain that there are no absolutes. The world says that everything is relative, and that morality is relative until you take something from theirs and then say that's wrong. But if morality is relative, then what's right for you is not necessarily wrong for me. And children grow up knowing that's not true because one of the things you'll frequently hear children say is, that's not fair. Well, what do you mean it's not fair? If it's all relative, there is no fairness. It's just whatever I can take from you and hold on to. The world also says there is no God, that we got here by accident or a bunch of goo and whatever, and yet they live their lives as if it has meaning and relevance. And they try to tell me how meaningful and relevant science is. Well, if we just all got here by a mistake, then how can I depend on science because it's just all here by mistake? But no one wants to really believe that life is inconsequential, that life has no meaning. Even those who believe this, wanting to invest so that we might go to Mars and other places, so that mankind might 
sustain itself because it could eradicate itself. Well, if we're all just a mistake, what does it matter if we go to Mars? We'll just be a mistake there as well. There is no meaning. And so when they and we point at people saying, well, you're a hypocrite, remember all of us have three more fingers pointing back saying, yeah, we are too. So Jesus is going to really hammer the scribes and the Pharisees on their hypocrisy. And I'm hoping that most, if not all, of what Jesus is going to be condemning them, we are not guilty of. But again, I think we need to watch to make sure that it does not creep into our lives. Because hypocrisy is like leaven. It just takes a little bit to ruin or infect everything. And so in Matthew chapter 23, starting with verse 13, he is going to, he's addressing, he goes, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe is a great sorrow or distress. So Jesus is warning that there is great sorrow and great distress coming their way because they are hypocrites. Notice he doesn't say scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. He lumps the scribes and Pharisees together as hypocrites, as those who are play-acting, as those who say one thing and yet conduct a different life. It says, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So again, the scribes and the Pharisees are religious people. They're the type of people who are supposed to be showing people the way to God. And instead of showing people the way to God, they're preventing them from entering the way to God. And even those who want to enter, they're shutting off. But they're even worse than that. They don't even want to go themselves. Now that's amazing for religious people who are supposed to be showing us the way to God to prevent it. And yet, all too often, church people, not saying believers, church people, will be so anti-Jesus that they block people from coming to heaven. That they, by their lives, seem to say it's not really true. And therefore, if you don't really believe it, then what I, why should I believe it? And we as believers are supposed to be those who are pointing people to the Lord, not preventing them from entering. And then he's going to, in verse 14, I'm going to not read that verse. If you have in your Bibles a little bracket, it says that some of the earlier manuscripts don't have this verse. Some of the other manuscripts do. And I believe a number of translations have this verse and others block it out. Now, I always comment on this because I hope either want to remind you or if you've never heard it. There's so many times people say, well, you can't rely on the Scriptures because it was written so long ago and it could be changed and it could be whatever, and so how can you rely on it? Well, there are more copies of the New Testament than any other historical book. And there are a number of fragments and a number of complete manuscripts. 
So much so that in reality, we even know what we don't know. And so verse 14 is one of those things. It may be there, and it may not be there, but the idea is that the Bible isn't reliable because we know what we don't know. No one will say that Homer didn't write the Iliad and the Odyssey, and yet the most current copy after his death was some 500 years. And yet somehow people have a problem with the Scriptures when we have Scriptures going back within about 30 to 50 years of their original writing. And so I'm going to skip now to verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you yourself. Now, if you're talking about getting hit between the eyes, Jesus is saying not only what they're doing, but they are the sons of hell. They're not the sons of heaven. They're not the sons of God. They're not what I just read at the beginning of the service, that we are the children of God. Jesus is saying, you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, are sons of hell. But you're making those that you... And you're, spending no, you're sparing no expense to go over land and sea to make a proselyte, to get somebody to change from who they were to being a Jew. We should also pay attention to this. Because we have been given a command. There are those who say a great commission to make disciples, to teaching them everything that he taught. But we are to make disciples of Jesus. Not disciples of me or you or some pastor that wrote a great book. We are to make disciples of Christ. And we need to remember then no, no matter how much we go, whether we go across the sea or we go all over the, the continental U.S. or wherever it is we may go, we are to make disciples of Him. I'm not much of a martial arts person. I've seen some neat throws. I've seen some neat punches and kicks and, and whatever. This bit I do know about martial arts. Each martial arts comes from someone who started that particular martial art. So Shinru or whoever from Japan or China or the Philippines or I think there's one in uh, Brazil. There's all these different, and everyone, and so when they show you how to make a move, whether it's a flip the hand, whatever, they do it the way the master taught them to do it. They, didn't, they don't do it the way some other master taught Whether it's better or not, it's this, the way my master taught us to do it was this way. Not this way, this way. And the people learn and learn and become disciples of that first sensei. Well, if you will, Jesus is our sensei. And we do it the way he does it. And we teach the way he taught. And we teach what he taught. We don't go after some other and say, oh, well, you know, it's really popular now 
to do name it and claim it. It's really popular to do that Jesus wants us all to be rich and wealthy and, and well and all these things. We're to teach what Jesus taught. So that they might be like their Master and not like us. Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. Now, that's a statement that's just almost unbelievable to comprehend. Here are these Pharisees who truly believe that the temple is significant, that they believe that that is where they come into relationship with God, that they offer sacrifice, and they're to do that, and that's where God dwells. And the statement is, the temple itself is nothing, but the gold on the temple is obligated. So if you swear by the temple, it doesn't mean anything. But if you swear by the gold on the temple, then you've got to fulfill it. And then he says, you fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. The scriptures tell us it's much better to make our yes, yes, and our no, no than to swear. And yet somehow we think that if we swear that somehow that's more truthful. And in our day, we don't swear by the temple and we don't swear by the offering. What is it you'll hear of? I swear by a stack of Bibles. Well, why isn't one Bible good enough? You know, somehow God's Word is more holy if you stack it up upon, upon itself and upon itself. And so if you have 10 stacked Bibles, somehow I'm more truthful than if I had sworn on one. Let me tell you that your veracity is probably already challenged if you have to say, I will swear by a stack of Bible. Or the other one in our common culture is, I swear by my mother's grave. And a lot of times in the movies you'll say, but your mom's still alive. You know, it, we, but, but people want to, and some, somehow our mother's graves is holy. We would never... You know, we would never lie to our moms except when she was alive. And when she said, did you do that? We said, oh, no, it wasn't me. The dog must have done it. You know, we, we don't mind lying to our mother when she's alive, but somehow it's really sacred if we swear on our mother's grave. So, uh, you know, see the inconsistencies. And, and so hopefully we will become people who don't have to swear by things. That when we say this is what happened, it happened. No matter how improbable it might be, because 
we know that person tells the truth. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Jesus is saying, look at a dill seed and a cumin and a mint are really small items. And you're so concerned with the tithe that he says that you do all of these things, the minor and lesser things but yet you neglect the greater thing. Again, it's very easy for us to do that as well, that we major on the minor rather than major on the major. And so we're so concerned about the way somebody may do something. I know uh, I've heard people say, for instance, that... Um, their families were never allowed to play cards because that's sinful. And other people couldn't go to the movies because that's sinful. And other people um, did all kinds of other things. Uh, I'll, I'll give a, a personal example. My father, he was born in 1886, so the whole generations ago. He didn't like people going to pool halls because at the time, people who in my father's generation were the less desirable people went. Now today, it's the family billiard place. And, and it's a different culture. But sometimes we, we look at the activities rather than the person. And a holy person can play cards. As a matter of fact, it used to be in this church, they would play rook on Christmas Eve and, and New Year's Eve and do those types of things. And the whole church would be playing card games. But somebody who grew up thinking, Cards was evil. You go, well, how could Christians do that? We need to major on the major, which is love and mercy and faithfulness and be less concerned about what we do that doesn't really reflect on whose we are. But notice that Jesus doesn't say, well, stop tithing. He goes, Continue doing that. Those are the lesser things. It's okay. So if in your heart you think playing cards is not good, don't play cards. But also, love. And be faithful. And be merciful. And again, he uses a great analogy, which the world has adopted. For you strain out a gnat. And then that can be irritating, especially when it's flying around and whatever. And so you make sure, you know, whatever. So you, you want to make sure the gnat isn't in your water. But you don't mind the camel that's there. And let's face it. I would much rather drink water that a gnat was in than water that a camel was in. Because water that a camel was in may be mostly pure, but it ain't totally pure. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, 
hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may also become clean. So I, I want you to get this image. I want you to think of a teacup. that you found in the trash. And there's gunk in it and dirt. But it's a pretty cup. So you take the cup and you wash the outside so that you can see and you go, oh, this is a really expensive cup. It's made by some famous designer. And then you pour tea in it. But you never clean the inside. Would you want to drink that? I wouldn't. And Jesus is saying, that's your lives, Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites. That you are so desirous of appearing to be clean that you could care less what's on the inside. And on the inside is uncleanness. It is full of robbery and self-indulgence. Now most of us could say, well, I haven't robbed anybody. I haven't taken anybody's stuff by force. But let's face it, we're all pretty self-indulgent. We all think that what we have to say is important, that everybody ought to listen to our opinions and ideas, and if the world just did what we said, everything would be fine. He's saying, first clean the inside of the cup. Because that's the usable part. As a matter of fact, you could clean the inside of the cup and the brim of the cup, and the rest of it could be dirty because it won't affect what's inside it and when you drink it. And again, people are so desirous to appear to be clean and are not. And that is the exact definition of hypocrisy. To act one way and to be another. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs on which the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Again, Jesus tells them, no matter how beautiful the outside of a mausoleum may be, it can be made of marble, it can be made of whatever valuable materials that you can think of. And you can clean it and paint it and whatever. But the truth of the matter, a mausoleum or a grave contains the remains of a dead person. Now there are two factors here in this. Notice he said dead man's bones, which means they've been dead for a long time. So this, this, this 
event of their hypocrisy wasn't like it happened just recently. They are full of dead men's bones, which means they have been dead for a very, very long time. And second, under the view of Jews, a dead person was unclean. So if you touched a dead person, you were considered unclean, and there was a ritual you had to go through. You had to wash, had to wait for sundown, and those types of things, present an offering. So there were things to do to avoid or to become clean once you become unclean. He's saying that is their natural condition, to be unclean. So that anybody who comes in contact with them becomes unclean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn them, adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. They're saying, we're better than the past. We're better than what our fathers did. Kind of sounds like today's world, doesn't it? Those people long ago were so terrible, but we're so righteous. We're so good. We would have never done what they did. So you testify against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Talk about tough language. Jesus isn't having an altar call after this. But as a matter of fact, that same language goes all the way back to John the Baptist. When they came out to see John, he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you? But you see, they were not interested in repentance. They were not interested in the truth. And we have seen that by the way they have treated Jesus. We will see that by the way they're going to treat Jesus. And we're going to see that by the way, even after his resurrection, they lie to prevent the truth. So how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah the son of Barak, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. You see, Jesus now is telling them very plainly what he told them in parables. The parable of the landowner was that the landowner sent his servants 
to reach the produce. And they mocked them and scourged them and killed them. And then he said, they will take my son seriously. They'll listen to him. They said, no, let's go outside and kill him so that we may inherit all. That was a parable. Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. That you think you're better than the past, but your own words will condemn you because of your actions. Not only will they kill the prophets, not only will they kill those who come after Jesus as his disciples, Peter and Paul and Thomas and all the others and James, but they killed others after that. People they burned at the stake. People that were condemned to be killed by lions. I had the honor and privilege and, and desire to have gone to Rome a couple of times. The first time I went, uh, you go and, and, and people take you to where they want you to go and they're always taking you to all these churches and all these places that was converted to churches. Uh, one of them was the uh, Parthenon. And the Parthenon was a temple in Rome built for all the gods. They didn't want to miss anybody. So they go, well, this go- temple's for this god, this temple's for that god. But in case they left one out, they made a temple for all of them. There's now a church in it. But of all those places that I went in Rome, to me, the most holy place I ever went to was the Colosseum. Because believers died there. Their blood to me sanctified that place. No church there. But you might say, well, I'm not interested in killing the pastor. I may ignore him. I may stop coming. I may turn off the various uh, computer programs. But let me tell you how you can be as just as much guilt by trampling under your foot the blood of Christ. By ignoring His sacrifice for you. is the same as killing the prophet and the Son of God because you did not consider it valuable, that sacrifice. We're so concerned about swearing on a stack of Bibles. We're so concerned about living, quote-unquote, the right way. But God so loved you and me that He gave His Son. And to reject that offering of love is the same as considering it of no value. The blood that is more valuable than all human beings combined, you consider it of no value. So tell me, if that's the case, who's the hypocrite? One of the excellent ways to avoid hypocrisy is to see it. To see it not in somebody else's life, but to see it in ours. 
Whether you're a hypocrite or not, that's between you and God. Whether I'm a hypocrite or not, it's between me and God, and I don't want that between me and God. So we listen to what he says. We get rid of those things that are play-acting. And we acknowledge the truth to take the weightier matter. As Jesus said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the weightier things. Do those. Everything else will filter out. Do those, and you'll no longer have to strain at a gnat. You'll no longer have to wonder if you're going land and sea to make another hypocrite. But that you and that person become what we call Christians, little Jesuses. For that's what he has called us to do. And to put anything else above that. We then lie to ourselves by saying, well, he's everything to me, but this problem he can't handle. 